Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. And I, had, I wanted nothing to do with church, but he knew about this addiction ministry that they had at this church. And um, for months and months and months, he, he did not give up, just like a drip, drip, drip. And I knew I, I had to go, and I wouldn't go. And um, after more than a year of this, um, I finally gave in and went. Those are the words of Five Stone Media's Lee Bailey Sealer as he shares about his recovery from an addiction that shook the ground from under his business and his family. This is Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Welcome to Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota, a trauma survivor himself. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program, and our goal is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join the conversation between Lee Bailey Sealer and Pastor Paul. Hey, great to have you on Life Support. This is a program where we want to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ through suffering and trauma and the redemption that comes through his love. And I have a really great guest uh, with us today that's got an incredible story to tell. His name is Lee Bailey Sealer. He's the operations director for Five Stone Media, which is one of the partners that we've talked about often here. Uh, Five Stone Media is our video arm of this podcast, and you can always watch video portions of it at fivestonemedia.com. Lee, I'm so glad you're here. It's so good to see you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. You know, Underneath that debonair, handsome, CEO-like performance that you put in every day for Five Stone Media, you have an incredible story, a story of redemption. And we wanted to have you come by and talk about life support and the, what you're trying to do to help churches and mm-hmm. pastors and so forth, but mm-hmm. also to tell your story, because I think your story resonates with a lot of people. And it's a story where Christ has entered in and, and done a lot of work in your life. So... Thank you for being here to tell it. And maybe you could start wherever in the past you want to start, where all of these amazing events started to unfold, both sure. good, bad, and... Yeah. Um, so, first of all, I don't know that my story is that incredible. And one of the issues I think we have in our world is that people think they have to have an incredible story to, uh, to be influential for Christ. And I think really ordinary stories... Um, and most stories are, are, you know, ordinary, even mine. I know a lot of redemptive stories are ordinary. So I, I don't know that I have this, this amazing, you know, profound story, but it's useful, I think, to some people. And I guess where I would start is just that I grew up just with a real normal suburban upbringing in Crystal, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis. Um, great childhood parents, went to church, uh, great friends, three older brothers, uh, really, really healthy, good uh, upbringing. We weren't, we weren't well off at all. I mean, we were, um, but um, we had everything we needed. Uh, when I got to be an adult, I, I went to college. I had a great education. I, I met my wife, my wonderful wife, Sheila, and, and we've got three kids, two grandkids. Um, 
I, I had a really fun professional life. I had a fun business. Um, I, I ended up owning a, a water sports business, and um, I just had a really, really good existence. Um, not really have any big problems, kind of problems I see in the world today, uh, especially today. I didn't have any kind of problems like that. Um, but as I got to be an adult, I sort of st- we sort of stopped going to church. We didn't find a lot of relevance in attending the church we were attending. We tried a couple different churches. Um, church didn't have anything that was really practical for our lives. So I drifted away, uh, drifted away from good influences and and f- fell into this trap that I think a lot of people fall into, which is being influenced by cultural expectations. So I started to believe that my value came from what I did, um, how I did it, how much money I made, how many things I had, uh, that kind of thing, rather than who I am. Um, and, that you know, I was pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. And um, I got really good at looking good, you know, if you will. And I think a lot of people strive for that looking good uh, aspect of life. Um, as I got busier and busier with business and our kids started to grow up and everything, you know, life got more complicated, I started to run into some problems that I didn't know how to solve. Financial problems, business problems, relationship problems, just general problems that we run into in life. And um, in this culture of uh, fix your own problems, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, um, just get on with life, make it look good, um, I strived to make it look good. And as I did that, the weight of these problems just created a fear in me that I would just no longer look good and that I wasn't going to be a success, that people were going to see that I was a fraud, that, um, I re- you know, they pull the curtains back and, and I don't want them to see who I really am underneath everything. So, And that's not uncommon for especially men. Uh, I read a study that, um, that, I don't know what percentage, large percentage of men sit at their desks and say, if they ever discover how bad I am at my job, yeah. I'm in trouble. You know, I mean, everybody's got that, yep. right? Right, yeah. Because it's, it's an identity issue and right. fear of being rejected and unloved yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, and in particularly our, our generation. I, I think in our kids' generation, the 20s and 30s, now, uh, they're maybe more uh, about relationship than we were, but uh, I think our, you know, identity was more about our job and our, our level of success, what we look like, what kind of car we drove, that kind of thing, um, and, and, you know, striving for the suburbs, all that good stuff. Um, so here I am. I've got this fairly good-sized business. I've, I've got 35 employees working for me. Um, I'm looking like I'm doing really, really good. And underneath, I'm, I'm like the duck that I'm just paddling like crazy where you can't see it. And everything looks cool on top. But um, I was struggling so much inside emotionally that I had to do something. And my solution for that was to start drinking more. Because I drank socially. And we you know go out and have fun and, and have a few drinks and 
have a business lunch and have a drink and, you know, the normal, you know, I guess, what we do. But I realized that I could sort of check out, make things go away when I drank. And so um, I drank to sort of overwhelm my fear uh, because if I didn't drink, my fear would overwhelm me, and I just needed to hide from that fear constantly. And the more I drank, of course, the more problems I got, and then I had to drink more. And so I got into this cycle of alcoholism that um, lasted a few years That where I was just sort of pretending and having more and more financial troubles until eventually, uh, in the perfect timing of all this, and I'm convinced that, that God is involved in this, that when the recession hit, I was in the depths of alcoholism, depression. I had no clue in how to go on, and I was hopeless. And God took that business away. Mm-hmm. And there was just no money left, and we lost a lot. I lost a, a lot of my money, a lot of people's respect, a lot of other people's money, um, and we basically, I basically had to close the doors and, and let all those people go. Um, and that was crushing because at this point, that was my whole identity, that job, that business. And uh, everyone looked at me, and I was that guy. And now— So you were actually living the fear yeah. that you started to try to cover up in the first place. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. And and I think that's a great lesson that you can you can try to— run away from the fear and, and hide from the fear and cover it up a lot of different ways with uh, whatever. A lot of people use different things. They buy things. They Maybe they buy clothes. They buy cars. They buy a new house. They go on vacation. You can try to escape it, but it's always there in the background, mm-hmm. and it's just waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and fortunately, I'd, I say that God used that as an opportunity in my life to— to bring me back to him in a way that was unexpected and um, was very creative, I think, on God's part. Uh, When I lost my business, I was out of work for a year and a half because I was just, uh, I couldn't possibly get a job because I was drinking all the time and I was hiding. I was just in fear completely of everything and um, hiding from bill collectors and hiding from relationships and people that I had uh, in my mind wronged who, who hated me. Of course, they didn't hate me. They, you know, they hated what happened to me. Mm-hmm. So after a year and a half, um, the, the sort of secret to my redemption story, I think, is a, a few key people who did some small things. They, they were obedient to God in some small ways. Um, that really made a difference in my life. And one of them was, was a buddy of mine named Ponch. And after a year and a half of me not doing anything, uh, he called me up one day and he says, I'm, we're not going to put up with this anymore. You're going to go back to work. I found you a job. And he found me a job with a really great uh, Christian guy who ran a property management company. His name is Bill Jackson. And Bill is, is since has since died, but he was significant in my my recovery that he gave me this job knowing that I was a drunk, uh, but taking Ponch's word for the fact that I needed some help. And um, so I, I went to work for this guy, and I worked for him for a couple of years, and he kept trying. God bless him. He tried 
time after time after time, he said, uh, here, let me hand you this thing they, that I got at church. He has these mm-hmm. little tracts that he right, would give right. me, booklets. And, and he says, you know, my church has this ministry I think would be really good for you. You should go check it out. And I, had, I wanted nothing to do with church. But he knew about this addiction ministry that they had at this church. And um, for months and months and months, he, he did not give up. Just like a drip, drip, drip. And I knew I, I had to go. And I wouldn't go. And um, after more than a year of this, um, I finally gave in and went. And I was just scared to death because I went to this place, and I'm, I was still under the influence when I went. And I thought they were going to throw me out um, because that kind of mess doesn't belong in church mm-hmm. in my history. That's just the history of my upbringing in church is that everything looks good, and you don't really have to talk about problems at church. You go there and you listen to someone preach at you, and you sing some songs. Put a smile on and get out of there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I, I went into this church, and I sat in the very back row, ready to dash out the door. And um, I, as I said, under the influence, and about halfway through the worship set uh, music, I got up to leave, and I walked out the back door, and there's another guy named Bud. Um, who stood at the door, and I, I think he was posted there to keep people from leaving. <laughs> and he said, where are you going? And I said, well, I just got to get something out of my car, of course. And he says, there's nothing in your car you need. What you need is in here. We'll be back to the conversation with Lee Bailey Sealer in just a moment. You know, Pastor Paul is hosting this program from a unique perspective. After losing his first wife to cancer, He then experienced the homicide of his young adult son, Taylor. And that's what life support really is all about, survivors in discussion with survivors. My name is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media, and we are so pleased to be a co-sponsor of this program. For more about our work, log on to www.lifesupportresources.org. And now... Back to Five Stone Media's own Lee Bailey Sealer with Pastor Paul. And he talked to me long enough to keep me engaged and keep me in there. Wow. So Ponch and Bill and Bud did these little things mm-hmm. that, you know, for the lack of those small things, uh, which aren't really small things, but for the lack of those actions on their part, I'm not sure I'd be alive today. Hmm. Uh, and And so very slowly... I, I sat there and listened, and uh, this is a, a big enlightening moment for my redemption is that the way I healed out of my addiction, or whether God healed me out of my addiction, was through just really simple stories of other people telling how they had done it. And here's here's a a thing that's sitting on my shoulders that I don't think I can beat. I really have literally at that point had tried to quit for hundreds of times and um, couldn't do it. Just good. I'd look at myself in the mirror and say, you don't do this. And I would, I would drink out of the bottle. And, and then I heard from these, these people who didn't look anything like me maybe, but they told my story. And they said, look, we were there too. And this is what happened to us or what happened to me, and, and I got through it, 
with the help of other people and with God. And so I got hope for the first time in years from a bunch of drunks and drug addicts that I couldn't find anywhere else. And you can extrapolate that really into any part of the church when people are willing to tell their story. Yeah. Whether it be in a woman's group or men's group or yep. people gain hope from hearing stories. Right. Which is kind of what you do at Five Stone. That's that's the whole mission, right? To tell stories because right. that's where right. people can find that healing. Right. Hope uh, hope is contagious, but mm-hmm. in order for it to be spread, mm-hmm. someone's got to open their mouth. Mm-hmm. Right. But there's but there's blocks to that and I don't mean to get you off track here, but we oh. we we uh, a couple of weeks ago we have, were talking with uh, Dr. Diane Langberg, an expert in in trauma. We we're talking about why it's difficult for people to to talk about their the different things that happen in their lives, and and why it's hard for pastors to talk about it. And one of those blocks is don't want it to be about me. Mm. I'm not sure where the line is, mm-hmm. but somebody has to say something. Yeah. Otherwise, how does that hope, like you said, how does it spread? Mm-hmm. Church can't be silent. Right. Well, one of the things we did, that reminds me of, a, of something that, the church reminds me of a, a junior high school dance. I don't know if you remember those. But oh, I. The junior high school dances that I went Deep to. Deep Purple was yeah. playing on the loudspeakers, <laughs> yeah. and I remember just standing in a corner wondering, when can I leave? You're standing in the corner. Yeah. In a junior high dance, there's. The boys mm-hmm. lined up on one wall, and the girls lined up on the other yeah, wall. The music's right. playing. Yep. The strobe lights are on. Right. Yep. But everyone's afraid to go ask the other people to dance. Yeah. And the church is the same thing. There are people there with problems, and there are people there who can help those problems. And the Word of God is there, and ministry leadership is there, but everyone's afraid to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So they won't approach each other. And I think one of the keys and one of the things we we really talk about a lot at Five Stone is being present enough to hear when someone else needs to hear from you. If I've got my ears open and I hear that someone is struggling, then the door is open for me to share my experience, my hope, so that they might, you know, take a step toward hope. Yeah, and that, I think, um, is really important what you're saying because there are certain situations where you know it wouldn't be appropriate to to, to really lay your heart out there. Right. But I've found myself at times uh, talking with a man who, say, was struggling in a certain area of his life one-on-one, and I find myself sharing shocking things about myself mm-hmm. because the Holy Spirit prompts me to, and then you can see in his eyes, wow, like, uh, you too? right. And then some light goes on, and it's it's an amazing thing to watch. Yeah, people think they're alone out mm-hmm. there in, in, they their, do. in their struggle. And uh, I have to tell you, if you're listening to this and you're struggling with something, you are not alone. Yeah, um, there's someone else in your life who has had this problem. You don't, maybe don't know about it, um, but if you are open a little bit with, hey, I'm really with a friend or or someone that you trust, and say, hey. Uh, do you know anyone who could help me with this? I, you know, I'm really having a problem with this. I need to talk to someone about this. You would be amazed at the number of people there are in your life who who have been through a similar circumstance or know someone who could talk to you. Um, and churches are full of those people, mm-hmm. absolutely filled with people who, like all of us, have problems. Yeah. yeah. So when so how long did it take for you then to? 
when you started to listen and you started to let God heal you, um, how long did it take for you to kind of get traction and get well, back on your feet? I'm going to say um, it was it, it was fairly quick for me. I know it's not for everybody, but it wasn't overnight. It wasn't a blinding, flashing light. Uh, I didn't see God in the corner of my my bedroom. Um, <laughs> uh, some people do, I know, and I did. Mm-hmm. I have not heard God's voice. Mm-hmm. But I, I heard God speak through these other people. And over the course of several months, um, I heard enough people who had success and obviously believed what they believed that I was willing to take a chance because nothing else was working. And honestly, there's nothing um, uh, uh, heroic about my story. I was simply desperate. Mm-hmm. I was so desperate for something to work that I I would have tried a lot of different things, and it just happened to be that God put me in a group of people who would support me. And um, so I started I, – I just started doing what people told tell me to do. I started serving. I looked around and saw people serving each other. And so I thought, oh, okay, I can do that. And it was simple, just uh, maybe six months of – of just following people around like a uh, like a puppy, kind of watching what yeah. they do and right. serving other people, greeting, um, you know, carrying stuff and setting up food and that kind of thing. Uh, but serving, I think, is a, is a tricky thing for people because uh, everyone wants to do something significant. They worry about I, I want to do something significant with my time and my serving. Everything is significant, and I, I always say, you know, just do what you're going to yeah. do. God can make anything significant. Yeah. So just do what you're going to do. Yeah, that's right. And you know, it's interesting that you talked about desperation, and we can talk about this a little bit more next time as well. But I think that the church needs to be more desperate. We have people um, filling our churches, and I'm guilty of this. And I'm when I talk about our churches, I'm talking about me too that are afraid to get desperate because mm-hmm. it's scary. Mm-hmm. And we hold on to whatever identity we have. We hold on to some kind of order. We we we, we give ourselves to the Lord, but we kind of grab on to something that we know we're going to have if it doesn't work out with him. It's, not all, it's all subconscious, you know, but then he starts stripping things away. Yeah. And all of a sudden, what we got, we're left, if we're really willing to be left, we're left with just him. Yeah, and that's where you were, and that's actually yeah. the hardest place in the world to be, but maybe the most beautiful. Oh, place Oh, it's to a be. great place to yeah. be, though. Yeah, that stripping away of everything. Had I not lost everything, I would not have found everything. Yeah, I have mm-hmm. now relationship with God. Yeah. Well, you look at what happened to Adam and Eve. They were immediately confronted with an identity crisis. They were going to discover their identity either in their their quest to be God or their quest to obey God. Yeah. And when they chose wrongly, God was still involved. He clothed them. But all of a sudden, they realized that they really had nothing mm-hmm. but God. And it happened quick. And mm-hmm. yet God was still there mm-hmm. ministering to them the whole time. Yeah, right. And so I think that's what he does with us as well. Um, and this is what you're trying to do at Five Stone, right? Mm-hmm. You're, yep. you, you're trying to tell these kinds of stories to help people come out of their own pain and their own situation to find hope and yeah, we, we we just believe so deeply that the local church can be the pro, the the solution for so many different things that it's not. Um, the church that I showed up with at when I needed help 
I had no idea a church could be that for someone that could actually meet practical, real-life problems and help have a place where you can solve your problems. And, of course, the church should be that place. That should be mm-hmm. the first place mm-hmm. that people think of. Uh, and, in fact, we can talk more about this next time, too. But, in fact, people do think about go to the church first often. And often they go to the church for solutions. And the church is either unequipped, unwilling, unable, whatever. Um, but they don't find answers there. And so so they leave. And that's crushing. That's Yeah. That's, and they feel judged and— Yeah, we are going to talk about that next time because we're going to talk more about this life support curriculum that you've got and the ways that you're helping churches. And so thanks a lot for being here. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for sharing your story. Oh, no problem. Thank you, Paul. And uh, we're talking with Lee Bailey Seeler. He's uh, operations director for FISO Media, one of our great partners here. The reason we do this life support podcast is because we want you to find a deeper relationship with Jesus. Sometimes that comes through suffering and trauma. In fact, I would say most of the time it comes through suffering and trauma. And so we want you to know there's hope in that. So thanks for spending time with us. We have great partners along with Five Stone, and you can watch a video version of this podcast at fivestonemedia.com. We really appreciate Faith Radio. And for those of you in the Minneapolis area, you know this is KTIS and their network, faithradio.com. And here at Ridgewood Church, um, we're trying to do what Lee's describing. We're trying to be a church that is healing, a church that you can be free to be yourself in, and that's myrwc.org. And you can check me out at Pastor Pastor Paul J. on Twitter. So thanks again for being here, and may God bless you, and know that he loves you, he has not forsaken you, and Jesus said it really, really clearly in John 16, 33, take heart, I have overcome the world. So thanks again. We'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support Podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.